0: The Tower of Babel I say and Babel. the Miracle of Pentecost. I say Babel, but... Yeah, I, you know, I noticed that. But you know, we oftentimes say that you're just babbling on, oh, I don't say that of you, but, <laughs> nice save. but, but that's why I pronounce it that way, Babel, Babel, potato, potato, right? Exactly. Blessings. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> By a, show of, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you here have studied a second language? Okay, so a good amount of people. I think, I think nowadays uh, most, like, middle schools and high schools even require it. Uh, I would say probably the most common to study would be Spanish, German, and uh, French, if I had to guess. Uh, now, raise your hands if you have gotten to the point where you have been able to somewhat fluently speak That second language? (laughs) All right. Those numbers drastically drop. All right. One more. How many of you have uh, studied more than one language other than English? English and uh, another language plus another language. Okay. So uh, a few. Uh, For me, I have studied multiple languages, uh, but Spanish was the one that I really uh, got my teeth into growing up. Uh, I, I was—it was to the point where I would sometimes have dreams in Spanish. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that I even could uh, carry on a, a bit of a conversation with a natural Spanish speaker. But it took me nine years of studying Spanish to get to that point. Nine years is a long time. I think whether you have studied a second language or not, you probably understand the difficulties. Uh, the barriers that exist in the difference of language. Language, uh, language is so important. Like, if you, if you don't understand what someone is saying, it's hard to have any kind of common ground to build off of. Language, in many ways, is, is the, the foundation of the commonality between people. Wouldn't it be nice if there was just one language one language in the world, and everybody spoke it. Well, in the events of Genesis 11, before Genesis 11, there was just one language. And no, it was not English. <laughs> now, if you had to guess how many languages are spoken today, what would you say? What are some guesses? Did I hear 2,000? I feel like an auctioneer. 2,000, 25. Uh, I'm not a very good auctioneer. Okay, 2,000. Any other guesses? 3,000. Okay. I'm sure you all have guesses, but not bold enough to say it, which is okay. There are 7,151 spoken languages in the world today. Now, about 40% of those are uh, uh, considered—they're considered to be endangered. So not many people speak them, and they're probably going to die off soon. And out of the 7,151 languages, 23 of those make up for about 50% of spoken languages today. Now, just so you know, I'm not making this up. All this information comes from a research center called Ethnologue. And out of those uh, 7,151 languages, that doesn't even include languages that are considered dead languages, no longer spoken. And that doesn't include What's the word? doesn't include languages that are written either. So in these categories, there are ancient, uh, ancient Hebrew, Koine Greek, Egyptian hieroglyphs. So out of those 7,000 languages, there are tons of languages that aren't even considered. Now, if language is a core foundational piece between people, what does it say that there are over 7,000 different spoken languages today? There's a lot of division. Now, all those different languages can be traced back, as I mentioned, to the Tower of Babel. Babel. <laughs> it says in Genesis 11:1, the whole world had one language and a common speech. That is remarkable. You know, as we go through this story, there are a few things that really stand out to me. The first is there was an amazing God-given unity among men. Every person spoke the same language. And at least for this specific event, they all worked together for one common goal. Now, obviously their goal was a sinful goal, right? To to kind of make themselves as equal to God. But let's just reflect on that for a moment. The fact that everyone worked together for one thing. I mean, when is the last time you were in a group of, like, maybe 10 people, and you all were of one mind? You all thought the same thing needed to be done, and you all thought this is how it needed to be done. That can even be about good, godly things. I mean, you can go to a voters' meeting, not just here, but any church, and there will be people who think differently, who disagree on things. And that's not necessarily inherently wrong, but I just bring this up to highlight, wow, the fact that these people who were building Babylon, they were all of one mind on things. Imagine the amazing things that could be accomplished for the good of humanity if people were of one mind on things. I mean, even—let's just lower the bar. Right? Because having everybody in the world be of one mind, that's a really tall order. But let's just lower that. Let's just say everyone in the country, if everyone in our country were of one mind on things, we'd be able to address things like school shootings in a, a proper way, in a united way. If the whole country were of one mind on things, issues like homelessness, poverty, uh, immigration could be properly and unitedly addressed. I'm sure each of you can think of other things that could be so different if we were just united. I bring up these examples not, not to be political, but just to highlight some of our bigger issues that we face in this country that we are simply not united on. If we were of one mind, in theory, the world could look very different. But the issue, as we see in Genesis 11, is that even if we were of one mind on things, there's still sin. 100% unity is great, but if sin is in the equation, then there's still going to be failure. So when it comes to unity, there's really one of two problems. One, if there is unity, there's sin, like the Tower of Babel. Or two, there just isn't unity, like we see today. And ultimately, we realize in Genesis 11 that, you know, there was a unity, but it was sinful. And their, their, sinful, uh, their sinfulness caused God to, to confuse their languages, and there really hasn't been unity since. While they ultimately use their unity to do sinful things, it, it really is amazing just to get a, a glimpse of that God-given, God-ordained unity that he had set from creation. But as is the result of sin, the beautiful things that God has created and intended for good are corrupted and ruined by sin. You know, sin takes the good things that God gives and just destroys them. And unity is one of those things. Now, for as much as we talk about Jesus coming to save us from our sins, which is obviously the case, Jesus' mission was far bigger than that. You could say that Jesus' mission was to undo the effects of sin. That includes saving us from our sins. But again, it it goes beyond that. Because again, sin destroyed how things were supposed to be. In this example, we see the unity that was supposed to be from the creation, from when God created, that just isn't there. And so Jesus' earthly ministry kind of got the ball rolling on restoring things back to how they were before the fall. You know, when Jesus walks the earth, he raises the dead. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He undoes the effects that have dampened God's beautiful creation. And so we we further see that in our reading from Acts 2. You know, this is Pentecost. This is where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people, specifically the disciples. They have what appears to be as tongues of fire on their heads. And then the disciples start speaking different languages that they didn't previously know, which, as a side note, not fair. Um, I had to spend nine years studying Spanish to learn it, and the Holy Spirit just gives it out. Not bitter, just not fair. Why, it, why is that significant, though? Well, because, as it says in Acts 2, 5, there were gathered there Jews from every nation. There are people there who are God-fearing Jews who are from every nation, meaning they speak different languages. Yeah, they can all understand the message of the disciples because the disciples are speaking in their own language. And the message that the disciples are telling, telling these people gathered from every nation, is that Jesus died, lived, died, and rose to save people of every nation from their sins. I mean, for as much division as there is in the world, there is one thing that we all have in common. We're all sinful. We all need a Savior. You know, sin runs deep, and it's not based on anything like uh, your language or your ethnicity or anything like that. We are all born into sin, every one of us. And, and sin, it, it separates It separates us from how our relationship with God is supposed to be. It separates you from experiencing God's good creation, like how how he wants you to experience it. And it separates us from how we're supposed to have relationships with other people. Sin just completely separates. And we see this play out a lot in our lives today. I mean, how many different ways, different forms of division do we experience today? You know, there are a lot of ways that sin has just done its thing and played out in the hearts of people and, and divided. Things like race and age and socioeconomic status, Christian denomination, political affiliation, and the list goes on. There are deep lines of division. Let me be clear. There's, uh, there's, these are, there are inherent differences Especially when we think about race and age and things like that. And that's not a problem. But the problem is is when there are divisions. That's where there's a problem. That's where sin is involved. But this gospel message, the good news that Jesus is restoring, is undoing the effects of sin, is undoing division. What sin has ruined and separated, God is restoring And later in Acts 2, we see over 3,000 people, people from every nation under the sun, people who speak different languages, united in baptism, united, made one in Jesus. And throughout the rest of Acts, we see more and more people come to know Jesus, both Jew and Gentile alike. On Pentecost, when God poured out his spirit upon people. He continued the work that Jesus started. His work of restoring, bringing together, ultimately undoing the effects of sin. We actually see uh, another glimpse. You know, in, in in Genesis 11, we saw a glimpse of what was that unity and what could have been. Well, Later in Acts 2, we also see a glimpse of what was, but also what is to come. Listen to this. Acts 2, 44 through 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a glimpse of, of the unity of God's people. And the unity that Jesus brings is true unity. It's not unity that's rooted in, or it's not unity that's rooted in like having a favorite. Sports team, same as someone else. It's not. uh, It's not having uh, being in the same grade as someone else. It's. It goes farther than voting for the same party as someone else. The unity that we have in Jesus it supersedes all of that. Because in Jesus there is no division between speaking English, Spanish, Swahili, German. There is no division between being. American, Canadian, Korean, Russian, or any other nationality, there's no division based on your skin color. As Paul says, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek, neither man nor woman, but in Christ, we are one. It's not to say that we lose all of our other identities, but our oneness in Christ is our identifying marker that is more important than all the rest. There is no division in Christ. We are made one. When Jesus returns, we are going to have that perfect unity. That's going to be unimaginable. We're going to experience perfect unity the way that God intended. Now, we will have to wait for Jesus' return to experience that. But remember, Jesus started undoing the effects of sin already. And so even though we don't see this perfectly now, the gospel brings people together that would otherwise have nothing in common. The gospel brings people together who don't look the same, don't think the same, and maybe don't even speak the same language. That is happening now. So in the meantime, while we wait for that day to come when there will be perfect unity, we actively participate in bringing it now. Now. We strive for unity with one another. We don't just say, well, things aren't going to be perfect until Jesus comes back, so I'll just, I'll just wait it out until then. No, we have been equipped to be at peace and have unity with others, albeit imperfectly. But the unity isn't something that we passively wait for, but we actively seek after it. So we look forward to this perfect unity But in and because of Christ, we have unity with one another now. For the sake of Jesus, who gave his life to make us one with God and make us one with others. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the unity that is given to us as one for us in Jesus. God, there are so many ways of division among us, some that— we unnecessarily create ourselves um god we we repent of that and we we ask that you would uh, create unity create oneness in you help our identity as one in christ to to supersede all other identities lord we thank you for making us one